0: Hello and welcome to Roundtable number 12 of Dual Security. I am appreciative of all of the experiences that all of you bring to the table. Anyone listening, anyone on Discord, anyone on Patreon, anyone who joins us for a Roundtable. It is fucking awesome to be able to experience through you so many more experiences of this reality. As much as I'm able to experience through this iteration of... Whatever you want to call it, Andrew. Whatever, and then Ray's able to experience through, through Ray as Ray, um, and and very much not as Ray. Uh, it's fun to be able to interact with so many of other iterations of myself and learn from all of you because it is a constant learning process and and learning about myself through you. So I appreciate you very much.
1: And I am looking forward to shutting the fuck up. After the episode that we recorded today, the group that we had, the intro that we're recording right now, and all of the insights that I've seen and shared and listened to, I'm really looking forward to a period of silence later on where I can just let it settle in exactly how much change has happened in the moments that I've experienced as today.
0: So with all of that said, I hope you enjoy this live stream. That is
1: round table number 12 of dual Unity, And we are live. Fantastic. Round table number 12. This is exciting. It is number 12, correct?
0: According to the calendar invite you sent. Then I'm going to assume that 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 is correct.
1: And that's another good point. It's funny how often it really just comes down to a lack of faith in ourselves. I'm going to assume that when I did that, I was probably thinking clearly. And so it is roundtable number 12. But the nice part is, even if it's not, who fucking cares? It's a roundtable. And as always, we're joined with brilliant, wonderful people. And so I'm very excited to kick this off. Uh, Of course, we are joined by Amanda who everybody should know by now, we are joined by Mark, who has been here for the last two roundtables and is an active participant in our group discussions every week, and we are glad that he is here. And of course, we have a new face with us, Michael, who recently joined our group discussions and has been a part of the community for a short while. Glad to have you here, Michael. If you don't mind just uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, and or I know that's a funny question, but tell us a bit about your path and uh, what brought you to DU.
2: Hey, what's going on y'all? So I've actually been listening to y'all since season one and uh, I'm just somebody that can be kind of quiet sometimes. So I've been a Patreon supporter, like the tier one for a long time until a couple of weeks ago, I was like, no, no. I wanna wanna hear more conversations. They're doing a lot more. So I went ahead and went up to tier two, Um, but let's see. Oh, wow. A little bit about me. That's such a broad question. Um, I think like what's brought me to this point is just growing up with a lot of beliefs that were kind of forced on me and not letting me really think for myself for a long time, just due to fear of being judged, fear of letting people down, fear of just not knowing what to do if I gave stuff up. And uh, yeah, you know, I went on some some special trips a few times and uh, that really opened up my eyes just to what was out there and what I could be and what I could do. And so I, I've gone down this path, y'all. I mean, I've read everything from Grant Hancock to Terrence McKenna, uh, Alan Watts. I listen to talks all the time, TED Talks. I'm just constantly trying to fill my brain up with new information as much as I can, And I'll be honest, Sun Signs. listening to the conversations, I had to like take notes and like go back and reread some stuff just so I can fully understand what's going on. Uh, But it's really fun to get to listen to and just know that there's other incarnations of myself, I guess you could say, that are thinking the same things, you know? Like if we look at the body made up of all these different atoms, it's nice to see that I've kind of formed and come over here to these atoms now which feels really really good so uh yeah, that's a little bit about me um yeah
1: that's awesome that's that's really good and and it makes me feel really good about the fact that we were able to build you an environment that is appropriate to your journey and that you've helped us do so this entire time we really appreciate the fact that you joined us here for today's roundtable because from the sounds of it you're gonna fit right in
0: I was going to say you have found the right place. That is, that is for sure. When it comes to, you know, the questioning, the recognition that maybe things aren't as they seem and the willingness to dive into that. Um, there is no better spot than, uh, here now and having this conversation even, but you know, that, that process of questioning is fascinating because that's usually how people start getting into these sorts of things. It's like, Hmm, things, things aren't really, uh, making as much sense as I was told that they should be or were for my entire life. And you start questioning and and then things start to unravel inevitably. But it's interesting how few people are willing to get into that, or at least take it to the extent that all of us have that brought us to you know this conversation right now, because there is a lot of discomfort that can come with that. P- few people are willing to question anything, let alone continue on through all the discomfort that they inevitably face because there's discomfort at, at every turn, but there's freedom around the next turn. And oftentimes they just don't recognize that. And so they're not willing to, you know, take that first turn, but I'm glad you've taken that turn, Michael. And I'm, I'm glad you're here with us because I'm excited to chat with you.
1: Oh, yeah. Our conversation is definitely strengthened by all of these inquisitive people. I'm very excited about that. Um, I do want to mention that, of course, Andrew actually does have a topic in mind in regards to need that he would like to explore. I have kind of a rant that I'd like to go on at some point regarding... children, parenting, and responsibility. So perhaps we'll go in that direction at some point. But uh, for right now, I'm going to pass it to Amanda and ask her if she has anything on her mind today. And then we're gonna go on to Mark and see what he's been doing in his end of the journey. And of course, what he'd like to bring to the table. And we'll just go around and see where this goes. Amanda, hi.
3: Hi, everybody. I don't have anything on my mind, except I did have an amazing dream last night where I told myself, to relax because the work will always be there and i thought that was really appropriate that i gave myself a message in my dream to like slow the fuck down you know if you can't tell i tend to run on high energy i i liken myself to jet fuel you know it's just um but it was good to relax and was good to get that message through my dream and then what's so funny is that i woke up like as soon as i told myself to slow down so i guess i I I heard the message, but I resisted. Like immediately I got the message to slow. Then I was like, all right, enough of that. Woke up. So hilarious.
1: That's fantastic. I love the fact that the messaging is there. It's like, if you're not going to pay attention to it the rest of the time, you're going to have to pay attention to it now. So that's, that's really good. It's always nice to know that one's mind is as determined as one is, right? Like you might be determined to be you know, on the ball all the time, but your mind is determined to take care of you in the same capacity. It's kind of like the pointlessness of fighting our ego, right? You start to recognize, oh, right. It's me. That means it's just as strong as me. Right? So no, I think that's fantastic. That's a hell of a dream. And you're right. You are a lot like jet fuel. So um, anybody who isn't aware, Amanda is Largely responsible responsible for a good deal of the brainstorming that happens in dualistic unity and the community amongst the community members in terms of the directions that we want to go. A lot of it's still coming together; like it very much is uh, a collage <laughs> of kind of thought bubbles everywhere. Um, but if you have an idea for how the community could benefit in the long term, if you have something that you can offer in terms of skill sets or, or uh, in terms of an insight that you would like to share, uh, definitely reach out to Amanda on Discord if you can't get a hold of Andrew and I, because uh, she is, is right in the thick of it. She catches things that we just don't and she talks to us regularly. So she brings it to our attention all the time. If it wasn't for Amanda, frankly, I think we'd be more lost than we actually are. So we appreciate you, Amanda. And now Mark, nice to see you, man.
4: Thank you. I almost didn't make it in time. So I was rushing to get back. Um, I guess the two things I've been kind of thinking about the last week or so, but one of them is, you know, sometimes I hear people say, you know, now that I have some of these realizations, you know, what do I do now? And for me, I can't even, I can't even picture a time when I wouldn't have something to do. I mean, besides just always, you know, continuing to try to work on, you know, just being here um, I've got so many things that I can continue to work on with my perspective and how I relate and just to you know the things I do every day that I want to keep working on and it's really you know something kind of came into I'm not going to speak on it specifically, but you know like even just a few days ago something came into sharp focus for me that I can, I need to continue to work on. And I was actually kind of excited. I'm really, I'm really glad about that. Like it was, it's invigorating to me now when I find these things that I can practice more on, you know, to, you know, work on my perspective and, and, and look inward and, and find some ways to, to make some, you know, maybe do some different things that I haven't done and see what happens. And, and, and just in that, you know, continuous journey that I've got, I can't even, I can't even imagine how I could ever be finished, you know, you say, I mean, I know none of us, you know, we're, we're not perfect or however that goes. There's always something to work on, but literally there really is. And there's so much, so much to, it's such a big playground. So, you know, that's been one thing. And I've just been thankful that I view it as a positive thing and that it's a, it's a challenge to me and not something that brings me down, you know, in the past, you know, when I think of something that I, I would like to be a little bit different about myself or how I respond or whatever, it would bring me down, but it doesn't. Now I'm just like, oh, there's something, you know. And so I think that's a really big change that's happened for me as far as looking at things like that that way. And it's been really beneficial. But the other thing I've mentioned, and there's been a few people talking about it on Discord about, you know, some uh, members have talked about, you know, not using their phones as much and things. And what's happened to me over the last week or so is that. I didn't make a decision to do it or anything, but I just kind of been spending some evenings without the TV on, which is like a first for probably my entire life, you know. So, uh, and I haven't like I haven't been like I'm. I better try to live without the TV, you know. It's not been anything like that. It just happens, you know. And I think it's because I'm so much more aware of what's going on around me and this my environment and appreciating just where I'm at and just those things more. That it's like. There's this natural movement to remove excess information clouding everything. I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. I don't think TV's bad at all. I enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, have plenty of things I plan on watching, but gosh, you know, it's like uh, like last night and the night before. Both I didn't even turn it on and I didn't even think about it. I'm just like I'm just going to sit here with my dogs. I actually colored a little bit last night, you know, just. But it's, it's just been neat that that's happened because I've never, I never even thought about it. And I think it's just a natural, maybe a natural progression that you start to notice things that maybe you're getting a lot of input from that's not really being that beneficial. Uh, and that's kind of how I'm looking at it. So it's really exciting to me, but I've made sure to not come across as everybody needs to stop watching TV. It's bad, you know, because it's not that it's just, uh, just trying to move some clutter. So that's where I'm at. And uh, for me, it's a really good place right now.
1: That is fantastic. And I just wanted to say that that really does follow up on the conversation that we were having um, a few days ago regarding dopamine and, and masturbation. Like the fact is, is that we, we keep beating ourselves up thinking we have to do something differently when it really is just switching our priority and recognizing, oh shit, there's all this other stuff that's really fulfilling. And then all of a sudden we just drift away from this thing that at one point was so enticing simply because it, in contrast to the shit we were dealing with all the, the rest of the time. All of a sudden you're just like, I actually rather like sitting here and coloring or hanging with my dog. But it's not until you give yourself the chance to actually be in the present and out of your head that that's true. So we gravitate to TV because it's better than the constant monotonous fucking self-judgment that we go through in our head all the time, right? But if you take that out, all of a sudden TV is not quite as enticing, right? That's why I always find it funny that life is the true HD, right? And we miss it entirely. (laughs) We're like looking for the better picture. It's like, just look around super like all encompassing, get right into it, right? But we lack that. And so no, it's it's beautiful to watch. And I wanted to bring up one more thing before I pass it to Andrew. It's funny because at the retreat, we have no policy regarding cell phones and, and mobile devices. Like we don't tell anybody what to do with them. We don't recommend they put them away. We don't do anything. And yet by day two or day three, the bar in the lodge was covered with everyone's phones and they never moved. Nobody touched them for the entire week. Like we actually had some some dummy phones around so people could record videos of themselves, how they're enjoying the retreat. They just sat there for the most part. Like nobody wanted to get onto the electronics. The TV never turned on once at the lodge. Like there were people there who were actually saying we have TVs and there was a TV in every room.
0: Yeah, I was I was one of the ones that asked that as well, and I was you know, supposed to be a host. I should probably know what what's going on, and I didn't even notice. Like, even picturing right now, like I can picture the lodge, different rooms and whatnot. Like, I can't even picture. It. I I don't even see TVs when I picture it, which is so funny. But yeah, Mark, what what you finish off there with is like exactly what we were talking about with the whole conversation with with dopamine and and the idea that. People are so focused on the byproducts of the desire to avoid reality, basically. And there's a ton of different ways that you can do your best to avoid being reality here now with yourself and being with yourself. And we do all these things to avoid that. And we think that that's the thing that's wrong, you know, the TV, the jerking off the whatever, whatever distraction we want to use and say like, oh, that's, that's, oh, it's a dopamine. I'm, I'm striving for dopamine, scrolling on your phone, whatever it is, really all those things are, are avoiding where you're at, avoiding the potential. And it's, it's also not to say that it's always the case, but if you look at everything as being an option, like you were talking about first, like there's, there's an endless number of things to do. There's so many things you can do at any given time. And we, we kind of settle upon the, the easiest, the most immediately gratifying and all of those things, because we don't see the satisfaction in doing all of the other things. And I think a big part is because, and when people, so sometimes I, I get ahead of myself, but a big part is that people, when they recognize that Oh, there's nothing I have to do. They still don't necessarily feel whole and complete in themselves. And so they wonder what they should do in order to raise their value. They're like, well, I got to find something to raise my value still, even though there's nothing I, I should do necessarily. They don't still, they don't feel like their value is is full. And so when you recognize that simultaneously with recognizing that there's nothing you should do, all of a sudden everything opens up because when you're coming at it from the perspective of not being whole and complete it's like you still have this tunnel vision you're like looking for the for the thing oh that's gonna mo- add the most value to me i'm gonna I'm gonna focus on that it's like no because you're already whole so then everything is an option everything is available um and yeah I had something else but I don't remember what it was so i'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking now
1: <laughs> that's great um if anybody would like to follow up With what Andrew was saying, by all means, you raise your hand and whatnot. Um, Other than that, we have a comment in the uh, live stream chat right now. And uh, I'm going to direct this one at Michael. Uh, Michael, if you had any tips on alleviating constant worry, what would be your, say, top
2: two? Um, Okay, so I would say constant worry. Number one for me is writing stuff down so that I get it out of my head. Um, I think that that is such a huge thing for the longest time. Uh, people will tell me, oh, you got a journal. You need to get these thoughts out of your head. And I kind of, you know, would just overlook it, say, no, no, I'm good. I can, I can deal with this. But it's one of those things like once you start writing stuff down, you're able to just listen to yourself and sit in silence and, you know, um, I'm not one that really meditates a lot. I have done it before, but I would say like my meditation is more in my journaling, you know, and that's what really does it for me personally. Um, So that would be number one. I would say number two for not worrying uh, is it's going to sound stereotypical, but just not giving a fuck. I mean, as, as soon as I figured that out and was able to just kind of, go through life almost like it's just a dream, it's a movie, I'm the actor, this is my 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 expression, what I get to look at, what I get to be a part of. And uh, once you make that turn and you're actually able to truly not care, uh, it's pretty freeing. So I would say that that would be two big ones for me personally.
1: Well said. Absolutely. Hope you don't mind, Michael. I'm going to do that from time to time, just throw you to the wolves. But uh, you handled that perfectly. Um, I just wanted to add one thing for me, and then I'm going to pass it over to Andrew, and we'll see what happens after that. But um, this is an exercise I think is really helpful. And admittedly, some of it was kind of uh, inspired by my training in martial arts and the conditioning that I went through there. If you find yourself in constant anxiety and worry, by all means, flesh all of them out. I mean that, like go into all of them. What if they all happen? What if everything you worry about happens and everything falls to shit and it's just you in a burning dumpster fire? What if there's nothing left but ash and you? Then what? You're gonna be okay, you're gonna make it work, you're gonna adapt? And if, you're, if your answer to that is anything but yes, that is the only problem. Because you can adapt but you just don't think of it that way. So you're afraid of everything falling apart because it means so much to you, but it was never the source of your value. It was never the source of your ability. It was never the source of your potential. It's just what you managed to do with it so far. And it doesn't matter if that all disappears or not because you remain, which means that everything that you built before is going to inform everything that you build after. So by all means, carry those worries out right to the bitter end. Look at it. What's the worst that could happen? you start over from the ground up you still have you Andrew.
0: yeah and yeah I, I love that one i think almost from like the other end of the spectrum relaxing into the reality of uncertainty like as much as all of that definitely could happen and if it did you would be fine and like that is one avenue to take it i think also understanding that you don't know you have no fucking idea and michael this kind of points to what you were saying like when you do when you are able to get it out of your head because your your mind's always going to try and create certainties it's not really going to be able to organize things super well so getting it out on paper and having it out there and understanding like okay that's a lot of stuff that i i don't know i don't necessarily have any idea about any of this and what's going to happen and even if it does happen what it's going to lead to and what that's going to lead to and so even if the things that i do think are the worst happen i don't know if that's actually going to lead to a worse situation for me for the rest of my life and and not giving a fuck about what other people think the reality is you don't know what they think like they very rarely come out and tell you what they think directly so all of our concerns for what people think exist inside of our mind they rarely ever even voice it and if they do a lot of times people are are supportive. And, and sometimes, yeah, people will come out and judge. And I think then it's it's recognizing where it's coming from and, and understanding their their own shit that they're probably dealing with and, and their worries for you know, what, what everyone else is thinking of them um, helps deal with those. But yeah, for me, my go-to is always relaxing into uncertainty, understanding that I don't know if that's going to happen. If it does happen, I don't know what it's going to mean. If, if it happens and it Mean something negative about me, I'm going to learn something. I don't know what I'm going to learn. I don't know what that thing that I learn is going to be able to be used as 10 years down the road. I'm going to be able to look back at that experience as awful as it was and be able to help someone else or at least resonate or empathize with someone else's experience. So there's so many benefits, even to it going and pointing to Ray's uh, example, even to it, everything, the worst case scenario happening for everything. That's quite the fucking experience that you're going to be able to pull from. You're going to learn so many fucking lessons from that experience and inevitably going to come across people who are worried about that happening, have experienced the same thing. And you're going to be able to connect with them and resonate with them just a little bit deeper, at least because you know you went through it yourself. So, yeah, but uncertainty is always, always my go to with with worry.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Mark, would you like to toss in anything? that you do for dealing with anxiety
4: well exciting thing is, is i don't really have much of an issue with it anymore i did my whole life I was on meds all those things for a long time and uh, the way i got i mean before before last year when i was still kind of you know before i had some really good ideas that have been great you know the last few months but uh You know, I had, you know, the first thing I worked on for a long time was just recognizing what I was doing when I was getting into those bad thought spirals, because you get into them, you know, for years and you don't, you just, I mean, it's just happening. You don't realize and you don't, you're not able to step out and be like, wait, I'm doing it again. But I finally got to that point, you know, so I think that's important that you're able to identify it before you've been in it for like two or three hours. You know, you're like, oh, wait, that's starting again, you know, but So, you know, trying to really work on it at first was, you know, actually just trying to just recognizing that I was, you know, just worrying about something and thinking about things that weren't even pertinent right now, but was making myself a wreck over it. And then I started working on just distracting myself, TV, you know, games or whatever, and it it helped a lot. Uh, and this was just within the last two years. So it, it really helped because I was really focusing on, I can't do this. And I also would worry a lot when I was lying in bed at night and I couldn't get to sleep. So I really worked on when I was lying in bed, you know, just distract, you know, putting my thoughts on something else that wasn't, you know, some imaginary thing that I was making up. But then as I've, you know, progressed the last few months, it's, I can't stress this enough. but I know we say it all the time and we've said it before as well. It sounds so, it sounds so simple but honestly if you're being here right now and you're you're appreciating where you're at right now and you're paying attention to what's in front of you right now you you don't have time to you know worry and anxiety is over stuff that's not in front of you right now because if it's in front of you right now you're going to have to deal with it but you know when I my worry and anxiety was over things that were like this might happen tomorrow this might happen next month oh i don't know what's going to happen so you know, as I've gotten and getting more and more, where I'm really just right now, I it, it's just not coming into my head. You know, it's really not, and I'm, I'm not. And I'm not saying that happened overnight. It was a process. But you know, we've said many times here that you know, yes, it's a lot of work at first, but you know, to to work on not giving as much attention to those thoughts and not you know becoming totally distracted by them, practicing seeing them oh there they are but not quite jumping into them as much and and yeah it's hard at first but we've also said that it gets easier and that they get less loud and you know they you can't make them go away but they get less prominent well that's what happens it happened to me and now they are hardly even there if at all or if they even peep in they're not there long. Cause I'm like, nah, I ain't doing that again. And I, I'm like, what's my dog doing? Let's play, you know, whatever. So, and, and I'm, I'm not even exaggerating here. And that's what, you know, and that's what really gets me about all this a little bit. And I was thinking about it last night because I've been, I've been doing certain things more, more on like social media than I ever have. And mainly it's because I'm trying to help increase the ripple. I'm trying to contribute to that, you know, so, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, be a little bit more active there from that perspective, you know, finding things that resonate or whatever, and actually sharing it, pushing it forward. So I'm really, that's what I'm doing mostly with my phone right now. So a lot less of the mindless scrolling I used to do, I actually have more of a point now that I think is pertinent. You know, I was just thinking, you know, I've seen so many things and watched so many things we all do. And one, it's, it's amazing how many things are out there that actually, you know, feel like they have part of the, what feels like to me, you know, truth that has a lot of other things with it. And that's fine. But it amazes me. Well, one, I'm very thankful because I, you know, I've always gone by, you know, when I read all this different stuff over the years, you know, I'll I take away what feels good, you know, what like doesn't cause some kind of weird reaction, but like feels like it's at home inside. And I just don't take the other stuff, you know, but I'll still read it generally, unless it's just way crazy, you know, where it puts me in a really weird place. But I was thinking last night that's the thing about this you know I'm I'm here I've been here in this in this community now for I guess 3 months and every it's just very rare that I hear anything that doesn't feel right and I have to go by that because that's what I've always gone by and it's definitely steered me in the right place cuz look where I am and I'm happier than I've ever been but it just amazes me though, because there's so many things I'll be, I'll hear, and I'm like, boy, that's good. Then I'm like, wait a minute, you know. But you know, this just feels right. And and everything that we talk about, that we say, you know, if you really, you know, you you keep with questioning things, and you keep, you know, you just stay, stay on course. You know, try not to get sucked back into your ego too much. You know, we all do it, but you know, if you, you know, just keep going forward. That you know, certain things get easier. Certain things do this, and they do. So it's just me saying again in a million words, uh, which should be less, that you know I'm still here, and and these things are happening to me the way that I've understood that they would, or should, or not should. I hate that word. We all hate that word. But you know, the way that they they we hope that they would, and it just it has. And so when I say these things, I'm not making it up. And, uh, and I feel very strongly about it because I don't stick with things that don't work. I mean, most of us don't. Or even things that do work that take way too long. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, I can't do that. Uh, but, you know, it just keeps giving me mo- more momentum. And I'm just so, so appreciative. And it's just with the, just the, every so much resonates. You know, there's just... You know, because now if I hear something and, you know, sometimes we'll have public calls where someone will be in a certain place and they might bring up a certain perspective they have that maybe is, you know, I might, you know, we might be like, oh, wait, yeah, you know, we might want to talk about that. It's just, it's not often, though. It's not often. So that's, that's. Uh, I know I went a little bit off on that, but uh, hopefully you got what I was saying and, and that's it.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely, I, I love everything you said, Mark. There is no too many words, too few words, should, shouldn't,
4: none of that shit
0: here. It is what it is. And you said all of that beautifully. And I resonate with it a ton, especially with the, uh, you know, sharing things and, you know, the ripple is almost, it it almost has come to a point for me that any insecurities that arise don't hold a stick to what I'm trying to do here to the, to the ripple that's being made. It's like, yeah, maybe I, cause my, my whole thing growing up, especially was like, I lacked confidence in myself. I didn't have, I was insecure in my ability to express myself basically. And it's gotten to a point now where it's like, there's too much, too much to do to let that get in the way. It's like, as much as it comes up here and there, like, then I, then I take a look around and I'm like nah, this is, this is more important than, than that. This, this overrides that. And, uh, and even with just the process of doing it over and over, like I used to mull over if I had something coming up in like a week, I would, I would fucking be so focused on and worried about that for, for the whole week. Like I would, I wouldn't eat as much. Like I wouldn't sleep as much. Like I'd be so concerned with it. And it's funny now. Cause like, you know, a call like this, I would, I would be, if this was the only thing big happening in my week, like this would be what I would be nervous about for, for days leading up to it, putting myself out there on a live stream in front of people, talking to people. And now it's like, we have so many things going on. Like we do so many of these, that even if we have something, you know, in a week, it's like, we have like 25 calls in between that. So it's not even a concern, but that's how it gets alleviated naturally is going through all of that and now you know we've done 100, 155 160 episodes on top of group chats on top of you know all the other social media shit i do and just talks and everything so it's gotten to a point that it's like it's second nature and it doesn't arise as much but i think that process of of continuing to do it that you alluded to is is one of the most helpful things like taking that action above all else, like as much as things may be scary, um, when when they're existing in your mind, once you do them, do them again, do them again, do them again, do them again. It's like though it just is the process of those quieting down. But everyone wants the magic pill, and it's like you gotta go through it at the end of the day. But that's how it, that's how it works. And that's that's really the most helpful thing. And uh understanding, you know, that that the importance of what you're doing. Far overrides the any insecurities and perceptions of yourself that may seem like they could get in the way. They don't have to. They don't have to.
1: It's interesting, you know, because uh, I've been working with Andrew now for 15 months as of today. So um, a little less than a year and a half. And I remember very much. I think it was in the first month uh, of the podcast, I had, uh, I had discussed doing a workshop with him on social anxiety, I believe it was. And uh, I remember he was actually rather nervous about it. Regardless of the fact that he did social media and all that other stuff, he, he had, didn't have much experience in terms of workshops. Uh, and he was familiar with the conversation. But of course, you immediately start thinking to yourself like, right, but it's a workshop. So we got to really, we got to package this up in a certain way. It's got to be structured. It's got to be planned. Got to, and, and I've been doing life coaching for a long time. I've been doing sales and presentations for a long time, and I, I just said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll meet you the morning of," you know, kind of. And so that was how the workshop started. Was you know, we met I think a half hour before. And we kind of shot the breeze for a bit, and then we just started doing the workshop and it took him, I think a day or two of doing the workshop to really just get into the flow. In fact, I remember very much what the turning point was for Andrew. It's when everything fell apart in terms of control. He was trying to come back for a day of the workshop and his flight had been delayed. And so for the very beginning of our social anxiety workshop on, I think it was day two or day three, Andrew was live streaming from the back of a cab. And so immediately all of his fears of, this is not what workshop, runners do or workshop hosts do, immediately there was nothing left that could have went wrong. And so he just relaxed. And every day since then, every workshop we've done, he doesn't even bother in terms of like, should we prep? What do we do? We just have a little conversation about it, get our heads clear as to what our message is or what it is the intention that we have is going forward. And then we have faith in ourselves. And it takes so long to do that. But I would like to throw this out there that there is a point where you've done enough work on yourself, you have enough conceptual understandings, you've had enough insights that you actually cannot progress further without having some vehicle to express and distill and reanalyze all of those insights. And so you almost have to pick something where you are more in the in the mess, where you are more in the shit. And so for Andrew, it was workshops. And that's why I recommended shortly after he started doing one-on-ones because in that, there is this, difference in relationships not just about you being good it's now you being good with another person who's just as equally powerful just as equally the universe and so they will push and pull you whether they are aware of it or not and so that's a whole other mess and you have to be in it in order to practice the things that you've been learning otherwise on your own and so this kind of ties into what you were saying mark you were saying that because you're feeling so much better in yourself you kind of want to you know participate a bit more, spread the ripple, do all that. I would almost say that it's required for you to do so, that the reason you're doing so is because of how far along you've come, that you actually have to distill it and get it out now in order to find more of what's behind what you've already encountered. You have to be challenged. You have to be questioned. You have to go back and forth and see other people's perspectives, which you are already good at. So this is just application as opposed to theory. And I think that that application is so very important. It's the reason you have to get out of your comfort zone. Like um, <laughs> our favorite spiritual teacher, uh, Phil Goodlife made a video about how he does not talk to anybody who's a lower vibration. He stays away from anybody that you know doesn't agree with his general state of mind. Like they're all obviously low vibration if they're questioning him, right? And it's like, well, that's a great way to never keep yourself in check. Like that's a great way to, consistently keep yourself in this echo chamber. One of my favorite questions from the retreat that we had in November, and somebody asked me this, how does it feel to be questioned all the time? I'm like, I love it. I think it's great. You know, it's the only way to make sure that I'm not full of shit. You know, If I'm worried about being questioned, that should concern me, right? Because there's a responsibility that goes with that. And I think that, that very that very much is the next step that we're talking about is, because you're good in yourself, you're able to be more sensitive in how you respond to things. And so you're more willing to respond to things rather than just shy, than just shy away from them, right? You're like, no, no, I have a sense of my own footing. And so I'm going to respond. Now, this is gonna go in a direction that I was talking about earlier because responsibility is a really big thing for me. Um, as a coach, this is something that, um, I used to wrestle with a lot because when you're coaching somebody, hell, when you're just giving advice to a friend, you have to understand that you have an incredible amount of power, that people are actually really easy to sway, especially when they're in a position where they don't feel strong in themselves. And so if you aren't willing to look at that and recognize that you can seriously fuck up someone's world, you shouldn't be coaching. You shouldn't be giving advice. You shouldn't be doing any of that shit. If you're not aware that you can do damage, because more than likely you're just focused on how it makes you feel to help someone, how it makes you feel to give advice, right? But if you're aware that these people have lives, there's a degree of responsibility that goes with that. And this is something we covered in our coaching workshop. We talked about how it's very important to recognize that you're, you're adjusting the flow, that by posturing and putting yourself up on a pedestal, you're actually disempowering people. There is a lot of responsibility that goes with relationships as a whole and this goes to my original gripe regarding parenting. I cannot tell you how much this means to me because My own parents were irresponsible fucks who only thought about themselves. I was kind of an afterthought. I know other people in this conversation have gone through some of that as well. And so looking back at the life we had and the simple fact that a lot of that pain, a lot of that suffering, a lot of that conflict could have been reduced, mitigated, or outright eliminated altogether had they just looked at what they brought into the world and took responsibility for it. Rather than just thinking, well, that's what we're, we're together now. We have kids, right? That's what, that's what couples do. Or if, if we have kids, we're going to stay together forever. Like all of this self-serving bullshit, right? Or worse, oh, I'm going to make such a great parent. I'm going to make the best mom or I'm going to make the best dad. It's like, how do you know that? Like, are you even good in terms of being a friend? Are you even good at listening to people, let alone some toddler that can barely communicate its wants or needs? I think children aren't accessories. They're not property. You don't own them. They're not a bag. It's not something that you're meant to you know, put on parade and go, look, I have children. That defines me. It's none of that shit. It is a person just like you. And just like you, you can fuck up their whole world just with a thought, a word, just a moment where you're not paying attention to how much responsibility you have for this child, because they don't have defenses. They're not like you in your grown-up form. They haven't been subjected to the world and all that shit. You're their template for humanity. You are their template for what they're supposed to grow up into, or at least that's how they look at it. And if you're only thinking about yourself, what are you teaching them? So it's not enough to just be excited about being a parent. There should also be some downright fucking dread right in the pit of your stomach, you should feel it because what you're doing is huge. You are helping create the next iteration of the universe. And if you don't see it that way, don't do it. It's my best advice. That was my rant for today. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there and pass to Andrew.
0: Well said. I, uh, the first thing I thought of when you started with that was, it, it really comes down to not thinking about yourself, so much with, with anything, I think pointing to the example you gave of our social anxiety workshop, when, uh, when I was in that cab and I was like, fucking frantic, like my, it was just all the shit, all the shit happened. My flight got delayed. It was traffic. It was whatever. And I'm like 20 minutes out. I'm like, Ray, I'm still in the cab. And so I wasn't able to think about myself in that moment, in that situation, there wasn't space for me and all the other shit happening and so it was an opportunity to let go of that and it's the same with with parenting well i mean i feel weird talking about parenting honestly but it's uh because i'm not a parent for those who may not know um you were a child that is that is true um but yeah so regarding that i think you mentioned this already but how much you think about yourself and it's the same with any kind of relationship really is how much are you involved in it? How much does this mean about you? Cause that can go both ways. That can be, you know, how much is this going to add to my value? How much is this? Oh, is this, is this diminishing my value right now? And so if you're involved, work on that, work on getting your idea of yourself and your ability to grasp value from the situation out of the equation, because a lot of times people will have kids thinking that it adds value to them. It gives them a purpose, and it's like it's such a double edged sword because you know then they they see it just as that. They don't see it as another iteration of themselves. They don't see it as cultivating an aspect of the universe and and creating a template for what's to come with all of it. It's like the more limited an I- of an idea, how focused you are on yourself, lack of sensitivity you're going to have to everything going on with that child. So if you want to be a good parent, let go of the idea that it means anything about you, that it adds or takes away value through what you do. Because if if you're afraid of it taking away value, it's like you're acting out of, out of fear, out of concern, and, and constantly still worried about yourself. If you think it's adding value to you, you think that the kid is going to add value to you. And we were talking about this yesterday, just with like sports and competition and all of that stuff, like thinking that your kid makes the the top team makes you more valuable. It's like, get yourself out of the fucking way. And uh, that's if there's any way to be a, a better parent, it's, it's that I think having less of a concern
4: for what it means about you. Basically.
0: Well, Michael,
4: throw it to you.
2: Yeah, just wanted to jump in. This is a very interesting topic for me. Uh, So I would say that because for me, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned from my parents, just looking back on the way that they raised me, is how important open dialogue and communication is. Um, You know, I... I come from a family that, you know, very big Christian background, and a little bit about me, I am gay myself. And so I remember talking to my parents and letting them know about that, right? And it was one of those things that we talked about for one day, and then we just never talked about again. And it's because, you know, my, my parents, they Um, both of their families come from like this communication style that we just put a smile on and we don't talk about anything at all so it's interesting how that was how my parents were raised and then how they passed that on to like me and my sister and so it's been really interesting and given me a chance to kind of just step back and show them some grace in a sense and just be like hey you know like This this is how it was, but I'm gonna make sure that I'm trying to communicate with you and still have a relationship with y'all, even if y'all have made it a little bit harder to do so. Um, And that's taken a lot of time, y'all. There was years and years and years that me and my parents just didn't even talk. And I would say it hasn't been until about the past three years that we've had a really good relationship. Uh, They still don't talk to me about being gay. Uh, My mom still sometimes likes to say, oh, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you're going to find a wife eventually. Like they they say all kinds of really messed up stuff to me. Um, But like I said, it just gives me an opportunity to kind of take a step back and just try to understand, like, hey, this is where they come from. This is their beliefs. I can't change their beliefs, but all I can do is just keep doing me. And so, yeah, like I said, I just think communication is key.
1: Agreed. Absolutely. It's interesting. We don't often think of it this way, but being a parent, I very much got this perspective as as my daughter was growing up, that my daughter is essentially growing up from the combination of my mentality and my wife's. So she is taking off from where I took my entire life to get to. And as such, she's kind of growing in a different direction based on all of that. Then even I'm growing because she started there. She didn't get any of the shit that I got before. She got what I had when she came into the world and everything I've adapted since then. But our children are always growing from the mentality that we brought them into the world in. But if we're not changing, if we're not questioning ourselves, then our children are almost destined to distance themselves from us. It's almost required. You know, even in the Gospel of Thomas, um jesus says you know you will hate your parents right straight up and it's just because he's talking about the difference in mentality he's not saying like you're going to despise them for that but there's going to be a point where you're actually going to have to let them go in order to progress right in yourself not let them go in terms of never talking to them again but let them go in terms of them meaning anything about you Like the fact that they're not willing to change their mentality has nothing to do with you and everything to do with their fear. So the bright side of that is look how far you've come. Like, look how much you've done with the mentality that they were trapped in and you escaped. That's fucking incredible,
3: right? They may not appreciate it, but the rest of us certainly do. Mark. I just wanted to comment on two things real quick. You know,
4: first, Michael, I was gonna say same. Um, I'm I'm gay, live in northeast Tennessee, grew up in a small community, three uh, crosses up on the hill in town. <laughs> you know, uh, dad was basically a preacher, uncle's a preacher, this person's preacher, that person's preacher. Never got to have that conversation with my parents. One time when I first got my uh, when I first got my ear pierced in college. Uh, they came straight away with Bibles to where I was staying, and and dragged me out of the house, and asked me tons of questions, and uh, what are you doing, and all these things, because back then, you know, earring equals gay, which it was true, but whatever, you know, (laughs) Uh, but uh, anyway, I shrank back, I was like, no, 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 it's just an earring, you know, and uh, let it go quietly back into the box, because I knew we weren't going to have that conversation and it wasn't going to go anywhere that I wanted it to go. But the result was that I became distant for about 10 years and they didn't see me, hardly at all. And uh, after those 10 years, when I got a little bit secure in myself and I graduated from college, so I was uh, definitely getting a little bit more stable, I started going back around. And unfortunately, my mom passed away about a year after that. But I had another 10 years with my dad and we got a great relationship, but we never had that discussion. They knew, I mean, of course they knew, and he knew, but he would still make a comment every once in a while about grandchildren from me, even though he already had four, you know, from the others, but that's fine, you know, I got to, I got to the point where it didn't hurt me anymore, but it took a long time, you know, it took for me not being dependent on anyone and and getting through getting my life set up, or at least getting started, you know, getting out of college and things to where I was like, okay, I'm not this is a, this doesn't have to hold me back anymore. And, and just like Ray said, I'm shocked that I ended up who I am compared to where I came from and my family. I mean, they were great. But, you know. Most of my family stayed right in the town they were born in. You know, most of them didn't go to college. Most of them didn't get any. You know, their minds didn't open up. They go to the same churches they've gone to their whole lives almost and that type of thing. And that's all fine and good. But, you know, I'm very different. I have much, much more open uh, views i've been exposed to a lot more and and so it is something to be happy with but just to echo that i can't even imagine and i had a great family but if i had always just been able to not be afraid to say things i mean not even just that but just anything you know i didn't tell my parents anything because i it was just going to be too much or they wouldn't understand or they just couldn't handle it or whatever I can't even imagine being able just to talk and ask questions and not worry about it. And, and that, you know, as far as children, I don't have children, but I do have animals that I care very much about. And the way that I've taken care of animals over the years has evolved, you know, as far as, you know, just learning what being responsible for another life is. And, you know, even in the past several years, I continue to take that more seriously because it is, You know, there is a life. I don't care what it is. There is a life in your custody, a life. Your life was in someone's custody once. And we all know how we have lots of memories of that. But, you know, even I mean, up to this point now, and I was thinking about this this week, I'm to the point now, you know, like I said, I'm always trying to be here. Uh, I'm always trying to be a for where I am right now. And I look at these pets that it means so much to me that, you know, they're with me all the time. And I make a point, you know, I make a point every time I pass them to touch them, to give them attention. I make points throughout the day to sit and play with them. And I just keep doing better at that. I always feel like I'm not doing it enough. But pets, you know, they can chill with themselves. You know, they're good. Kids need even more than that. But can you imagine if you had a child and every time you passed him in the house, you gave them a gesture of love every single time, like, like you just walk by them and you always make sure that you, you know smile at them or just pat them on the back or just something. I try to do that with my dogs. If I pass them or I'm in the room with them, they're going to know it and I'm doing it on purpose. But can you imagine just that with a child? what that would do alone, but there's so much more to it. I can't even imagine, imagine taking that job lightly, but, you know, there's so many kids born before anybody even knows who they are themselves. I mean, I didn't know who I was, and I wasn't even close when I thought I figured it out in my early 30s. You know, right now, I'm just really figuring it out, but even if you don't get to that point, I still wasn't even stable at all mentally or whatever till I was in my thirties. I just can't imagine. And I just wanted to add that because me thinking about, I was thinking about children just when comparing it to how much I feel like I slight my dogs with attention and love and making sure that they feel, you know, happy and nurtured. If I had a kid, a child, it's, uh, I just... I don't know, but it's everything. It's just everything. And and if you're not going to do it all the way and and understand that you're responsible for this life and these things, this this life may remember or have suffering related to what goes on here decades from now. You know, I'd like to think that a lot of people would maybe do it a little differently.
1: I agree. And I just want to say Mark that I resonate with everything you said. In fact, everything I do as a parent is very much in that vein. You know, I always want my daughter to know that she's at least a big part of my awareness and my focus all the time. You know, even if, if, you know, we don't have to be talking all the time, just know that, you know, I'm aware of you. You're not forgotten. I'm very, you're always very much in mind, but there is such a limit on our capacity for that, that comes from need and identity. Like there are so many people who have children because that's what you're supposed to do, right? There's so many people who have children because, well, we're, we've been together, we've been married now for a while. People have children at this point, right? And so it really isn't coming from a place of priority. Well, for example, you, you brought up pets and you're right. It's exactly the same. There's, not, there's really not much difference except the lifespan. Really, you know, like you, you give your dog so much attention, but they live seven times shorter life right? So you have to give them that much more, quite frankly, to deal with the time disparity, right? But in that responsibility, it really comes down to your ability to prioritize them, right? And what I mean is that, so this just happened recently. I have a neighbor, um, she had a cat, and her cat was very much an ornament. Like, she had a cat, so She had a pet someone in the house basically make sure she wasn't alone, but she never really resonated with the cat. It was out most of the time, or or, or it was just ignored. Then the cat died. Took her two days to go buy another cat. Right? Two days. And it's just because there's no awareness there. Like there was no connection to the animal. There was nothing in terms of a recognition of her own life and what it was like to exist or any of that, because it was all just going from point A to point B, doing the thing that you're supposed to do, solving your own selfish needs, focusing on that lack of satisfaction or that lack that you feel and all that stuff. And it was never about connecting on any level whatsoever. And so it changes the responsibility entirely, right? And this is why, you know, some people shouldn't have pets straight up. Like this is something that happened a lot during COVID, drives me nuts. But the fact is, is that a lot of pets got returned to shelters when COVID was done. And it's because they bought them for the sake of, oh, make me feel better while I'm stuck in the house. And after that, they were they were worthless and they were basically just dropped. And that shit happens all the time to pets and humans alike. And it's simply because we're operating out of that that slow-minded superficiality where we're only focused on ourselves and what we're supposed to do and our sense of value and fitting in and towing the fucking societal line all that shit and it never ever comes down to the fact that right I know what it's like to feel human I know what it's like to feel human you know and that's what changed me as a parent it's not the fact that I want my daughter to think a certain way of me. It's not that I need to think of a certain way of myself, but when I look back at my life and all of the times when there wasn't anyone fucking there or the person there was just thinking about themselves and using me to do that shit, it inspires me to not do that. It inspires me because I know what it feels like. And so I can rest. I can feel what it's like for my daughter when she goes through that shit. And that's what changes my priority. It's not based on need, it's based on empathy. And that's based on self-awareness, and that is the one thing we fucking lack. Because you'll notice all of these parents who are focused on themselves, who put themselves before those they brought into the fucking universe, are all thinking about themselves. They don't actually feel connected to anything. So how can they feel connected to their children?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think responsibility versus or uh, seeing seeing kids, I guess as a burden ver- versus an opportunity is how i'm i don't know kind of digesting all of this because in my own life and ray brought up that a lot of people see kids as as a need almost like they see it as well society you know societal blueprint go to school get married have a family have kids retire die all that shit and uh it's it's very interesting to me that people see having kids as just something you do like it really has become that and and even thinking back to my perspective a few years ago like i had a i think i've brought this up in an episode before but i have a one of my best friends has always said he's never having kids (laughs) whether it's you know because of he can be very self-deprecating or whatever doesn't think that he would do any good having any kids in this world and he's like you know half joking when he says stuff like that but i always I never understood that going through college. I was like, "What do you mean you're not going to have kids?" And I was basically like, "Everyone has kids, you know. Ever, it's it's what you do." And uh, and now I I totally understand where he's coming from. And and just in my own life, in my own perspective, like I have no idea if I'm ever going to have any kids. I am not assuming that I will. I'm not assuming that I won't. I'm not assuming I'll get married. I'm not assuming I'll have a family. None of that. Stuff because I don't know i i how could I possibly know? How could I possibly know if any of that is what's best for me? But when I do think about having kids or even just a kid, I, I see it very much as an opportunity as opposed to you know a, a burden, a weight, all that shit, and because a lot of people have the perspective that kids Or a need, like it's, I need to have a kid because that validates my value. That gives me value. I don't feel valuable in myself, but hey, I have a few kids that I'm a parent. And now I inherently have value to our society because I am pushing the fucking broken down system along because I am adding to it with children. And so, from that perspective, kids aren't an opportunity to have impact on yourself being reality. They are something that you need in order to feel valuable and therefore a weight, no differently than having a shitload of money, having a gig- gigantic home, having a like 20 super nice cars. Those are all weights as well because they, they are something you need to have in order to see value in yourself. And for a lot of people, kids are in that same category. There's something that they need in order to feel like they have any value. And so therefore they become a weight, you know, the things we possess, possess us. And and it's not necessarily in in that same vein, like a, like a car or a house, but I think it very much falls into that category almost by default when you need it in order to derive value from it, because your perspective of it is not, it's not coming from a place of, of recognizing the, the gravity and, and the seriousness with which you should take adding another iteration of reality to reality. But when you don't see it as something you need to do, when you don't see it as something that will add or take away value from you because you're already whole and complete in yourself, it very much can be an opportunity. And when you come at it from the perspective of it being an opportunity to have have not more influence, but a little bit more of a direct influence on reality, being able to so closely raise something and and have impact on it because they children are basically sponges for like the first seven to 10 years. It's very much an opportunity. And with that, there's inevitably going to be a ton of seriousness with which you take it because you see yourself changing with this child. If you don't give a fuck about it, that's those are the kids that turn into... You know, sociopaths are the ones who no one gave a fuck about them. They had no love in their life. So they tried to find it in other ways, tried to find it through other things. And it's because the people who were raising them were so caught up in themselves, they didn't even see them. And they they couldn't possibly take the time or the energy to focus on them because they were seen as something that was supposed to provide them with value and they recognize that, oh, this doesn't add to my value either. It's not as much of a necessity anymore. So I think when, when you don't come at it from the perspective of a need, it's more easy to see having children as an opportunity to impact reality as opposed to a weight or a burden that you thought you were going to get value from and, and didn't. And so therefore, you know, you don't need them as much anymore.
1: Yeah, that's such a good point. It really is. It's like I was saying before that, you know, your, your parents or your children learn who you are, not what you want to teach them. Right, And so if you're going to have children, better make sure you know who you are, right? Or at least you've got some good, some good footing there and you're doing the work as it were. And the reason is because if you don't and you have children out of need, you are going to pass that need on to your children. And this is something that unfortunately happens in a lot of families is that you have parents that use their children to self-validate and by virtue of that actually teach their children subconsciously to be codependent to need those parents and to constantly be worried about their disapproval and constantly be looking to them to pay attention to them, to validate them, to do all that. And these parents do this subconsciously, not recognizing that it's all part of the fucking drama that feeds their narrative, but their children pick that need up. And that's that gap. This is what I was saying to Michael and Mark in terms of growing beyond your parents' mentality, moving beyond that need for validation, beyond that need to have them look at you with approval. That's a hell of a journey. Like that, that whole transition is massive and it's not always easy because they don't appreciate what you're doing. So that all said, I'm going to pass this over to Amanda because Amanda, I know from our conversations recently that you've gone through some of this transition in yourself, recognizing where that hesitation came from in terms of, of setting distance, um, where some of the, the pushback came from in terms of, of their resistance to you growing beyond their mentality. I would love to hear how you weathered that, and maybe some tips for people who are going through something similar.
3: Yeah, so I, um, it's been an interesting journey because I've gotten to see pretty much on both spectrums or both sides of the spectrum. So when I was a little girl, you know, super close with my mom and my dad, I had a two-parent household. I come from a Spanish background, so there's, there's lots of people if Spanish people, they live up to the stereotype, they know how to make people. And so I had like dozens of cousins and dozens of aunts. And, and, you know, I'm just saying there was, there was a lot of fucking people. If they knew how to do one thing was make other fucking people. Now how to treat those people and how to connect with those people, they fell a little short, but in terms of, you know, increasing production, spot on. Um, So I had my mom and my dad and my, and for my mom and my dad, I am the only kid that they made, but they had children in their first marriages they together were the second marriage. So my dad had three kids and my mom had one, and then they had me. The There's a big age gap, probably like 17 years between my, the youngest kid and the oldest kid. And uh, I worshiped my parents at first, not only because that's how the Spanish households are raised. You, you do not speak unless you're, you don't even, you speak when you're spoken to, but if like, let's say I had to ask a question, I had to say, excuse me. And then once I was acknowledged, then I could ask my question, but I had to ask it very respectfully because if not, there was there was no cushion. You you would get you would get hit, and so I learned very quickly to honor and obey, not to push back, not to fight back, follow all the rules, and the rules are pretty simple: pick up my toys, be quiet, keep to myself. I loved books, and so that was really easy for me to do. Um, just kind of be in my own little bubble, and to come out when I was asked. And to do my little dance, you know, wear my little dresses and go to the family events and all that shit. But um, but it was it was a really consistent for probably zero to eleven years old. And then at like eleven, my dad uh, brings me to a family friend's house. I'm playing with her kids. He's playing with her. Didn't realize that come out of come out of the room to get like a juice box or something. And I see them in the kitchen, and shit hits the fan so quickly. My dad stops playing with her. He throws me in the fucking truck. We drive back to my mom or our home at 11 you're old enough to know, you know, that I used to hear. So what's what's funny to me at that moment was like, uh, I used to hear my parents having sex and it was so horrible. I was like, ah, I hate it. Um, but then they'd be like, how do you think you got here? I was like, I don't fucking know, but it sounds horrible. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but it doesn't sound great. So, but I knew that they were allowed to do all that. So when he was doing that with her, with the, with the other woman, I was like, wait a minute, like, I don't want to see you do it with anyone, but you're, you're only supposed to do it with one person because you are married to my mom. Um, so I went home, I called my mom, I tell her, she must've called him on his cell phone, but then he comes back to the house and he's a big guy. You know, he's, uh, like, Six one six two, like 250, and he'd range from 250 to like 300 pounds and big and scary and domineering and not a quote, clo- not a compassionate person. So like, it felt like he was daddy or fucking Godzilla. It would, it would be one or the other because there was no middle grounds. Um, and so he's like yelling at me and looking at me dead in my eye. And he's like, you know, this is your fault. You broke up the family. Your mom and I are gonna get divorced. I can't believe you betrayed me. I can't believe you did this to me, blah, blah, blah. This, that, and the other. And I am fucking crushed. I'm just like standing there in front of him like, yesterday you were fucking cooking burgers for my birthday for my Barbies. Like, what the fuck? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean like family's broken and it's my fault? And so like, I fucking believe that shit. It took me, let's say from 11 to like 20 before I really started to pick that message apart but in the meantime um the family broke up he moved out the house and i just i and i couldn't really get close to my mom because you know her and i weren't very close i was very much daddy's little girl and so i wasn't really close to her and then you know i'm the reason i'm the one who told her so i'm like you know you know i'm like the horrible messenger so it's like there's just this disconnect, um, but we still she still tried, and I do appreciate that because she took us on like daughter mother daughter days, and we would hang out and do all that all that good stuff. So I know that she did try, but she also came from a broken household. Her parents broke up when she was about the same age. You know, she wasn't close to her mother. She wasn't close to her dad. She didn't, you know, she she had a very, very rough upbringing. And so did my dad. And I knew that about them. And so that helped put things a little bit into perspective. But honestly, I just pushed that shit down. Didn't really pay attention to it. Just focused on... Uh, creating a shield out of my brain because I wasn't physically intimidating and my mom and my dad were the fighters and my brother was the fighter and all the other siblings were gone but I was always like the black sheep of the family because I was not the fighter I looked white I didn't really like having boyfriends I didn't really so I was like a reader I was always alone I was very very different than the rest of my family so there you know there's having a thousand options right but I can't even pick any of those options because when I pick them they don't pick me And so I really had to learn very quickly how to be my own best friend and to, and I I did make a few like friends from school and I didn't make many. I had one best friend that I made at 11 and another at like 16. And I held on to them because they were there for me in ways my family couldn't be. I was there for them and vice versa. We just gave each other space to do our own thing. And it was just really, really good. But at 20, it was like, okay, Like, what are we not gonna date anybody forever because we can't trust relationships? Like, what are we just not gonna fucking have more than two friends? Like, come on, you know, I had to like call myself out. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Because now we're an adult. Now there's no more blaming mom and dad. Now there's no more blaming every other fucking person because at some point it's on you. You know, as much as shitty things can happen to you, as much as those things are not in your control, once you are old enough to make those choices and to do your own thing, it is fucking on you, man. So you really have to take ownership of that, no matter how unpleasant it feels, no matter how confused you may be, or no matter where you don't know where to start. I didn't fucking know, but I had to just throw myself out there and try and and date a nice guy and make other friends, friends who would blow me off, guys who would fucking, You know, it just didn't work out just, but it was on both of us. I'm not going to blame the friends, the ex-friends or the ex-boyfriends. You know, I had baggage. They had baggage. We weren't dealing with our baggage. We were just using each other as distractions. And I get that. So it took me, but at least at 20, I was finally being honest about the skeletons in the closet. I was finally ready to, to look at them and to see where I contributed, what stories I believed and what stories were full of shit because my dad put all that responsibility on me. My parents, my my siblings put so much on me and yet they were hurt, they were lost, they were broken. They didn't know what the fuck they were doing but they made it seem like they knew and I didn't and because I'm not doing what they want me to do, I'm the fucking problem. So Amanda's always been the problem, right? And I was like, oh, well, fuck me. What am I supposed to do? Um, So it was just a lot of introspection and a lot of just trial and error, just going out there, figuring things out and then seeing you know, so what clicked probably like at 25 was the fact that I had maintained friendships from 11 and 16. And I was like, well, if I can maintain them and they're amazing, they're amazing friendships. I tell them everything. They tell me we've been through ups and downs. When I'm down, they pick me up, vice versa. We encourage each other. I was like, damn, these are probably the best two relationships with people that I'm not related to that owe me nothing, you know? And so I, I use them as an example because I was like, it's proof that I can connect with people that don't owe it to me. And it's proof that I can be there for someone and that someone can be there for me and we're not using each other and we're not distractions, even though sometimes maybe we get fucked up on the weekend. Sure, maybe we have a distracting moment, but the relationship itself was solid. And so that helped me like just have that proof. And then I just took it from there and just kept working on myself, kept picking apart the stories and then learning more about my mom and my dad. You know, my dad never met his father. Came from Puerto Rico, where everybody could beat you. Your mother, your teacher, your neighbor, everybody could fuck you up. He didn't trust people, of course. And 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 what really clicked for me and him was when I um, my oldest sister had committed suicide, and this was probably like her ninth attempt, and it finally worked. Well, you know, you know what I mean. And she was she she accomplished what she wanted to do, but she was hurting because his first wife she had killed herself, her mother had killed herself when my sister was like 12 and 13. And my sister, my two sisters and my older brother come home from middle school and they find their mother hung in the basement. And that's what the fuck they found. And then my dad lets them get emancipated. And so they lose their mother and their father in one shot. And so like they couldn't get over that and they were so hurt. And I'm standing next to my sister's dead body in a fucking casket. And my dad walks over, mind you, he's paying for the funeral tells a family friend to invite me to this funeral. I haven't talked to him since I was 11, but he walks up to me at 25 or 26. And he's like, hey Amanda, how have you been? Why haven't you called me? My number's been the same. And I was like, you know, I've just been so busy dad, you know, it's so good to see you. You know, like I because at the end of the day, as much as you guys can think I'm so nice, I can be a real motherfucker. And I learned that from my mother and my father. And I learned that from out of survival. And so I'm just looking at him like he is in his 60s. He's lost his oldest child. He's talking to his youngest child who he hasn't seen, who he doesn't know. He doesn't know who I am at 26. He knows the old Amanda and he knows that power dynamic. But that's not the person standing in front of him. And so I, I went to that funeral very much open to starting fresh. We don't even have to talk about the past. That shit is dead and gone. Let me get to know who you are today and you could get to know who I am today and let's see if we could start something fresh. But you wanna talk to me over my dead sister's body and you wanna ask me why the fuck haven't I called you when you're the dad? I, I'm sorry, am I daddy? Because I could have swore I was, I was baby. You know, that's what I thought I was, but if you're going to look at me and just say, where have you been, then I'll just play that game. And then I just, I was a little motherfucker that night. I just told him all the things that I had been doing since he had left to show him that like I didn't need him, that I had zero kids, that I had graduated twice debt-free, that I taught myself how to do that, that I was getting ready for law school, that I was young and beautiful and thin, and I was working at this big, beautiful casino, and I was doing all these, and I had traveled to 25 of the 50 states. So I was like, oh, you, oh, you thought that what? You thought that with daddy gone, baby was going to sit in the corner and cry all fucking day? Fuck that. If, if, if there's anything that you did teach me was that you could you could start over. Because my dad has let go of his entire family. He doesn't talk to anybody that he's related to. And he seems to always have kids until they're like 12. And then something goes wrong. And then he just starts over again. And because uh, everything always happens or in that in that 10 to 13 year old range is when he he's never been a father from zero to 18. It's always like at the halfway mark. And it's always at that age where your kids can see who you are and start to challenge you. And they're no, it's no more worshiping. And so when he's not worshipped anymore and that helped it click in that day, because I was like, all right. You know, here I was thinking that something was wrong with me, thinking that I was worth leaving, that I didn't do what he needed me to do. And I betrayed him. And so I wasn't good enough to stay. And really, our whole relationship was bullshit. It may have been real on my side where I really did love this man for protecting me and, and showing me and, and catering to me and all that. But he only liked me because I I, feel, I filled a blank. He never actually liked child, Amanda, he never liked how much I loved learning and loved reading. And he didn't really get to know me. I was just someone who worshiped him. And I just made him feel better when he couldn't make himself feel better or not feel better because where he couldn't feel free. And so I was a distraction from not being free. And I was just his feel better. I was his feel better, you know, band aid. but he never actually worked on why he was in so much pain from his childhood. And it was so crazy because I'm looking at this grown man and I'm like, damn, I understand why you're hurting more than you are. You don't even know why you're doing all these things. You don't even know how fucked up you are and you're trying to make me feel bad. And I just, I just was okay with not talking to him again. You know, he ended up moving out of state and that was totally fine. Then with my mom, we always stayed a little bit, a little apart, but close enough. And then like two years ago, December, 2020, we get into a fight over my grandmother who we're caring for and she kicks me out the house, no mercy no hesitation, just kicks me out the house a couple weeks before Christmas, a couple weeks before my birthday. And I'm like, damn, I am a fucking grown ass adult. And I'm an orphan by choice. I have two living parents who are walking the fucking earth, who want nothing to do with me because they don't want to own the shit that they made, the bullshit that they made. And they're trying to blame me. And so I was like, thank you, dad. (laughs) Fucking thank you because that helped me deal with my mother so fucking well that like, I was still paying for our cell phone phone bill and she wasn't talking to me. And I was like, you know what? I can make it through this because I'm I am I am my friends. I am here. I will never leave my side. I am never going to be gone. I will never have to convince myself to stay. I will be here every morning. I will be here every night. I will love me. I will be there for me. I will cheer myself on. I will make a thousand fucking friends. I will make I will be I will I will either have the opportunity to be a parent and be a better parent than I got or I will adopt or I will give or I will donate. I will just be my whole fucking family if I really needed to be because no one, no one can make you feel the way that you can make yourself feel, and no one should, you know. So put that responsibility on someone else is not fair because they they have their own life, they have their own, you know, interests and needs to take care of. They have to have their own back, and you have to have yours. And if somebody's willing to give you love and effort and attention and time without strings, that's fucking beautiful. Accept it. But it's not a requirement i am my foundation i am my i am the home i live in and so i make sure to have a happy home and fill it with love and yes we make mistakes and yes we stumble and fall flat on our face but at the end of the day nobody's going to have my back the way that i will and and then i can still give from a full cup because if i don't need you to be my rock i can be my rock and then i can have overflow and then i can give more to other people and to make it through my mother and my father and family members and boyfriends, and it's just like, damn, there's nothing that could break you. only you can break you. So just just always keep digging deep because you will you will like like a lotus flower, you will fucking push through the mud and then you will blossom and you will figure it out. And it doesn't, you don't have to know all the steps, but just it's okay. It's okay not to know, and but it's also okay to just be there for yourself. It's just, I'm really grateful for everything that's happened because of everything that I've learned. And I would honestly do it again. I would do it again at all. the I would go through everything that I've been through if I knew I could guarantee being here in this call with all of you, being in the DU community. People wanna know why I go so hard for DU. It's because I know what it's like not to have DU. I know what it's like to be lost when you have a surplus of family and friends around you, but nobody's really there for you because they're not really there for themselves. So to have a space where it is a genuine space for us to figure it out together, to be in this space together. Oh my God, man, you guys are my fucking dream come true. And that's why I love you so much. And that's why you'll see me giving and not really asking for too much, which I do appreciate Ray because he's like, sometimes you need a spotter and you know, like spotting at the gym, you know, sometimes I, but I've been so strong for so long that I just, Asking somebody for help always felt like a trick because then it was used against me. It's like, oh, well, I did this. And I would have never did that if I knew you were gonna do And I'm like, what the fuck? That's that's not help, that's manipulation. So I I didn't wanna ask for help, but now I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to give it and just pay attention. Just pay attention, because if you pay attention long enough, you'll see red flags or you'll see green flags. So it's just relax, pay attention and try to have a little bit of fun.
1: Well said. Absolutely. I think it's so interesting that I think one of our biggest problems is that we've been sold on this idea of adulthood having something to do with the number of years that you've been on the planet instead of the mentality that you've managed to get to. Like if I was to say that uh, parenthood has an ideal mentality, it would be the mentality that you just expressed, Amanda, which is that the buck stops here. If there's shit wrong with my life, I fix it. It's on me. Because as a parent, You can't be leaning on your children for validation. You can't be leaning on your children to make you feel better or help you regulate. Like that is not the fucking point. And that's exactly it. But we have children without being adults ourselves. And so our our parents are children, but they appear like adults because we're so small. And so it's really misleading. We really start to think like, oh, they're huge. They have to be fully grown people. It's like, that has nothing to do with body size at all. It has everything to do with mentality, but our culture does not take that in. Like, well, what's that? You're 16, you can drive. What's that? You're 18, oh, you can you can drink. You're an adult now. It's insane. And because we do this thing where we have a narrative that we're supposed to do this and then this and then this, and then we have a relationship, and we have kids and so on and so forth. We never actually get to that maturity level where we can be parents, where we can be enough of adults to raise children because we're still thinking of ourselves as children. We're still chasing the fucking soother all the time. And, and so I've noticed something, and I just wanted to bring this up before I pass it over to Andrew. Um, all of our stories, for the most part, come down to one thing, a shit ton of time alone. Anybody else notice that? That all of it comes down to taking the time to self-reflect, all of it comes down to taking the time to jump into challenges on your own without leaning on someone else, always. It doesn't matter if it was because your parents were shitty or not, it always comes down to how much time you have spent self-regulating or learning to self-regulate. That fucking blows my mind all the time because how much of our society is, is I guess, geared away from being alone, right? Got to join groups, got to fit in with the click. You got to fucking you know, go to school and all this other stuff. We have no time to self-reflect. We have no time to do the one thing that would help us mature, which is to be on our own for a little bit of time. It's just crazy to me how simple it is. And yet we miss it entirely. It's like you want to walk up to your parents and say, you know what you probably didn't do enough of? Spent time by yourself. Like, and just stuff like that. Because honestly, when you've outgrown your parents, there is something that's almost sad about that. It's inevitable, unless your parents are really on the fucking ball, right? Like, this is one thing that I really think about a lot. I'm always changing, always questioning, I'm always adapting, I'm always growing. And the reason, quite frankly, is because if I wasn't, my daughter would have surpassed me years ago, years ago, just in terms of being able to think of things that I'm still too limited and insecure to even explore, right? So it's so much more important for a parent, for an adult, quote unquote, to be more like a child than anything else because we're always taking it in. But no, we get this idea. I'm an parent, I'm a parent. I know everything I need to know. As, as right, right now, I know everything. You know, like how many of us heard that whole thing? Like, don't do what I do, do what I tell you to do? What the fuck is that? It's like, you don't think I can see the contradiction? Oh, you just want me to take that at face value because you're an authorita. All right, right? And it's the weirdest dynamic, but it really is what any immature person would do. If you threaten their authority, they would threaten you with a punishment. That's all they would know how to do. Go and talk to any five-year-old who's not, getting, who's not playing the game the way they want. Watch them. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Isn't that exactly what a lot of our parents are doing? It's like, we're not doing what they want. We're not validating them. Go to your room. What's wrong with you? Like there are other options, but we're not adults. And so we don't think like adults. We think like children. And so we have children raising children, raising children. And then we wonder why everything's all fucked up
0: funny bring up that last example when I was uh living in New York a few years ago just to make some extra money um before I was doing any social media stuff I babies like kind of nannied for a for a kid after work um a couple days a week and and he would do he was he was an only child and like you know they, they had a super nice apartment in in the middle of Manhattan and he was like seven or so and and sometimes there was his friend in the in the apartment and they would play and I would just kind of monitor and kind of like play with him. And when it wouldn't go well, he would like take his ball and be like, Andrew, we have to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. George. Let's uh let's take a breather here. And and we would, you know, have a have a chat a little bit and break down the situation. Not too much because he's seven, but it's funny because that is how adults act so often. Like they do that. And and so we have this perspective that, you know, because we're so caught up in the concepts in you know age, fucking meaning, anything. We think that it means everything. We think that because we've gotten to this age, because we were a parent, like we we should be seen in a certain way because we don't see ourselves in this way, and so we need things to validate that. And Amanda, I, your story is fucking powerful, and I mean it's it's incredible where you're at now, knowing where you've been. But as you said, like through all of that, the thing that you recognize is that you're the only one who can break you. And, and that's really what so much of this comes down to is that responsibility, that, that fucking raw responsibility for yourself. And I, I mean, through that, this is all kind of circling around the idea of, of need. And I was thinking about this before, and I know Ray said early on, we'd, we'd, get into it. So I figure we can, you know, it's, we're basically talking about it already, but how much of our reality and our experience and, and the freedom we experience comes down to a lack of need for anyone or anything to do anything, right? Like there's so much, so, so many people have so many expectations of other people because they're not willing to take a responsibility for themselves and their own experience and they are they can be weak because they think that you know they have this perspective that they need someone else to see them in a certain way in order to feel validated in order to feel loved and you know the depth of this the ability for you to go deep into the recognition that you know you are reality you are god you can't do it while clinging to a need for anyone to see you in a certain way or an expectation for anyone to do anything for you. Like it has to come down to you because you're it. And if you're unwilling to see that it has to come down to you, it's always come down to you. Your entire experience has come down to you and your perspective, your willingness to deal with something, your willingness to face something, your willingness to let something go. It's always come down to you because it's always just been you and that perspective that you know someone else is going to do it for you someone else is going to help you out you know oh i i need you i need your help i need i need i need this i need that and I, all i all i see is a diminishing of the freedom that's available when you let go of that need and i just see need as something getting in the way of the depth to which you can experience this reality, because inevitably it's gonna it's gonna get uncomfortable. There's gonna be layers that you peel back and you're like, whoa, that's really uncomfortable. And if your immediate thought is, you know, who can I, who can I talk to? Who can help me with with dealing with this? It's like there's nothing wrong with you know having friends and people to talk to and whatnot, but if you're not willing to face that yourself, you're never gonna face it. No one can help you face the obstacles. In your life and when you're willing to face that when you're willing to take that responsibility that's when you can really start going deep that's when you can really start to find freedom but no one can give you freedom no one can set you free besides yourself
1: now this is an interesting point it's something that i had texted you previous to this conversation based on something else that we were talking about and the currency of reality let's just say okay so I think it's very interesting that attention and value are essentially synonymous and we don't recognize that. But the fact is the more attention you put into your life, the more value you see come out of that attention, regardless if you're creating something, if you're working on something, if you're learning something, if you're building something, either way, it takes attention. And that attention creates value. It is the basis of our economy. There is nothing that's worth anything that doesn't take human beings to make, which means attention equals value. And we know that from our own individual path. The more attention you spend on the moment, the more value you get out of your life, out of each and every moment. But we don't recognize that at some point. We don't recognize that attention itself equals value. And so we go looking for it from other people. We go looking for attention from other people because we don't recognize attention itself is the value. It can come from us. So we look at it. We look for it from other people. That's it. We're just trying to get value from other people through the one mechanism that we know works attention, but we're not responsible. So we can't get it from ourselves. We must look to other people. And that's the core of that need.
0: I like that one a lot. And I'm glad you brought it up because you texted before um, yeah, talking about something else, but it was kind of uh, circling around the same thing, the need for someone else to, to validate you. And it's funny how this kind of infiltrates all the situations that we go through and the depth with which you give attention to the moment that you're experiencing is the depth with which you can find the value in that. Like they, they really do go hand in hand. Like how much even and Mark, you brought this up um earlier on the call, how you, you've started at night, you know, not turning the TV on as much. And I, I do the same type of stuff, like be it at night or, you know, when I'm eating lunch in between one of our calls or something, usually I'll like pop them on my computer, watch some sort of YouTube video, something. And I've started to, and today I I didn't and I, I still do here and there, but um I didn't and I just I just stared out the window, eating my food. And there was so much more like depth to that experience because I wasn't focusing my attention on something else. Again, not to say there's anything wrong with any of that, but when you do let go of that need to almost distract yourself from the moment, there's a, there's a depth. And I straight up started tripping, like everything out the window started wobbling around. I was like, feeling those, I, I mentioned it on a previous call, like the voidy vibes I get when I smoke a lot and I wasn't high at all, but I was very much like, oh my God, I'm in the center of the universe right now. And it was just from that, it was like fucking 10 minutes in, I'm like, holy shit, this is, there is some fucking depth here. And so it makes me wonder with how often, you know, we we basically consciously or not avoid the recognition that we're alone, that this is all us. We do all of these things to distract ourselves from being able to give the attention to that moment that it would allow for the depth to recognize that not only am I not what I think I am, but I am everything forever, always have been, always will be. And you know, the layers just keep getting peeled back, but we do so many things to avoid that attention to the moment that allows for the depth to peel back all of that, you know, false certainty that we feel like we have. So it makes me, it just sometimes makes me wonder like how much we do that as an avoidance tactic of that recognition almost. And, you know, whether it's conscious or not, I don't know. I'm just curious because like there are times where I, where I do it and it's like, like whoosh, kind of sucked, sucked deep into that shit. (laughs) What do you mean by
1: I? think about it like you're saying that i'm avoiding it right who's avoiding it what's avoiding it because it's all i it's the whole collective like this process of understanding that you are the all of everything requires everything to catch up to you because you're everything so as you get it you get it more of you gets it so the question is what do you mean by i who's avoiding we all are because we're all the same eye, and it's going to be that big of a goddamn process for us to turn around. But we're watching that process now. This is why we're having this conversation. I spent a decade wondering, what the fuck? How did I wake up? Why am I thinking all this shit? Where are all these goddamn insights coming from? What does this mean about me? Nothing, nothing at all, except that now they're available through the chain of irresponsibility of immature parents after immature parents of of a collective mentality that has been stooped in immaturity for generations. All of a sudden, all these insights are starting to bubble to the surface and they're bubbling to the surface through individuals pulling away from the collective mentality, going beyond their parents and their parents' fear, standing up and changing the lives of everybody they interact with afterwards but it's all because you are waking up to what you are. That's all it is, but it's not you, the body. And on the other hand, yes, it is. Because as much as you are the universe, we are also all the universe and we're all in you and you're in us. And so it's always responsibility. What we're talking about is not just the maturity of a human being but the maturity of a divine one. And that is something that collectively is going to take some time and effort. But that time and effort, as always, will be shortened and diminished by our level of attention. The more attention we give ourselves in each moment, the faster this goes, the more impact we have. But as soon as you start trying to ask yourself, like, fuck, how are we doing? Is it changing? Is it changing? You're just slowing it down. You're just slowing it down because there's nothing to change except you. And the more you get that, the more it's already happening. And that's the best part about this. The more you understand what to do, the more you recognize you've always been doing it. And you just have to relax and let it happen. And that's where we are. And it's an exciting time to be alive. That all said, We have a few minutes left here before we wrap up. This has been a fucking damn fun conversation. I wanted to mention something very quickly because it came up in the live stream in the comment section. Thanks to everybody who could join us today. We really do appreciate that. Amanda, your t-shirt has gotten a a little bit of attention throughout this episode. Anybody who's watching it on the live stream, you can actually get a copy or you can get your own t-shirt like that with those words. I am you, you are me, we are one. Dualistic Unity. You can pick that up. Go to dualisticunity.com, go to the store dropdown and click on merch. It will take you to Creator Spring, which is where all of our merch currently comes from. Though at some point in the near future, that may change if Amanda has anything to say about it, because she has been out sourcing information. She also has one of our mugs. <laughs> She's been out sourcing information on different items in terms of merch, things that are made out of hemp, things that are, that are biodegradable, things that, that last longer, things that we can do that we're currently not doing. So if you would like to keep up with what we are doing on that front, definitely join us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dualistic You get to keep up with all the, behinds the behind the scenes Stuff that we're doing in Dualistic Unity, you get to hear our brainstorming sessions. Tier 3 supporters get to hear a little bit about how the book that Andrew and I are working on is going. But not just that, if you are a Tier 2 or a Tier 3 supporter, you can also join us on this Roundtable episode every two weeks on Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It's available to our supporters in our community, and it's because this community is all this is about, because it's about you, and you're a part of it. Right. That's it. And as much as it's funny, because I love how contradictory our idea of community is, because typically a community is a collective, but we're a collective of individuals. So the less that we think of ourselves as a collective, the stronger the community is. I
0: had that written down somewhere, something about uh, we're all being ourselves together or being there for ourselves together. It's kind of it. It's not that we're there for each other because there is no each other. But yeah, these conversations get kind of funny when you're talking about a community that recognizes that there is no division between itself, which is a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I, I maybe we'll maybe we'll save it for uh, Patreon. The uh, you know question of is it changing the the curiosity about all that? You know how how silly. The question is, because who's asking and who's trying to change it? Um, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot there, but this has been a blast. I fucking love the roundtables. They're always a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, Mark, Amanda, Michael, love you guys very much. It's it's always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, interact and share stories and experiences, what it's all about.
1: Absolutely. So uh, absolutely. We're going to wrap up here, but uh, Michael, I just want to target you specifically and say thank you for joining us for this roundtable. I know it was your first. I look forward to seeing you at the ones that follow. Mark, as always, Amanda, Everybody here is just incredible. We really appreciate all the insight that you bring to the table. We appreciate everything that you've gone through in your life and how you bring it to us and inform us and help us learn through your vulnerability and your strength and your willingness to talk about it. It's huge. And I say that as somebody who's been a coach, who's somebody who's married to a licensed counselor, like we recognize How much of the therapeutic relationship between people is lost in it? In that it's therapy. The fact that this is not therapy and that we're all just coming together because we can makes it so much more powerful. And that is very much facilitated by each and every person that's here, by each and every person in our Discord, in our group chats, by everyone who is willing to regulate themselves and take responsibility. You're changing everything. Thank you. And on that note, we're going to end before I start on another rant. I do want to explore more of what you were talking about, Andrew. And we're going to do that on Patreon in a few minutes. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We
3: will see you next week. Bye, everyone.